0: You're listening to the best of The Michelle Miao Show, your A through Z covering LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now your host, Michelle Miao.
1: Welcome and thank you so much for joining us here on this little Friday. It is November 19th. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. We have a great packed show for you. Two awesome interviews touching on some pretty important topics. So I don't want to take up too much of your time here This uh, in the, the top of the show. But all I have to say is I hope you are not drowning yourself in American media right now. It's so, so, so bad. Uh, all the uh, the you know, conversation, the discussion that's happening, all of it is racist, it's hatred, it's... I hate to sound like such a negative Nancy, but I couldn't even listen to NPR. It was like they did a segment on the uh, dip or decline in tourism uh, going to to Paris right now and how there was a guy from some, like, third-party airline company uh, that was talking about the small dip but that it should go back up because, you know, when there is a terrorist attack, things like this happen, How's this freaking news? Gosh, makes me just so, ugh, ugh. well, I'm so happy that we have Progressive Voices Network here. Let's get our program started. Today's show is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Our next guest is the subject of a film called Oriented. It's directed by Jake Witzenfeld, and the film follows lives of uh, gay Palestinians who live and work in Tel Aviv. Sounds rather complex, I feel. I mean, to be gay, to be Palestinian, and to live in Tel Aviv? Is it possible? Well, let's find out. Kader Abu Saif, welcome to the show. I think I totally slaughtered your name. You're going to have to tell me again.
2: (laughs) You totally slaughtered Uh, it. Coder.
1: Coder. Like, uh, yeah. Kader. And then it's is it is it safe?
2: Yeah, it's like safe like yeah. Yeah, it's like okay. Like safe in English, yeah. Great.
1: Well, I love your name and uh if you saw my last name, you'd run screaming. <laughs> It's like Meow, isn't it? <laughs> well, well, Meow's my middle name, actually, but my, my legal last name, it's like 11 letters long, and people, I mean, you know. Uh-huh. But um, but we're here to talk about you. So, you know, I mentioned earlier to be gay, Palestinian, and living and working in Tel Aviv. Uh, it sounds yeah. complex. I think that that's the right word to describe it, right? It's
2: it, it definitely complex, but it, this is like our reality. Like, uh, this is the place that we're born mm-hmm. in, and this is, like, we we define ourselves by our ancestors. We define ourselves by our family, and my grand my grandfather and mother they were born in Palestine before even Israel was existed. So I define myself as uh, as my family does, and I am for sure one hundred percent Palestinian. The fact that I'm living, I'm not really living in Tel Aviv. I'm living in Jaffa. It's like part of it's a part of Tel Aviv, uh,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and. Um, well and the fact that I'm Arab and I'm gay it's kind of like complex everything and mix it together to one awkward uh, uh, living in the state
1: now it you know i I can't help but sense a feeling of um while watching the trailer for oriented feeling like you may uh, have to actively and constantly claim your identity no matter what because it, it 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 seems like almost like um you might not you might not belong i mean to be arab to be gay to be you know a uh, palestinian and yeah, and, and I, all that it, it,
2: it, it's not like you're not belong it, it's more like you're you're kind of looking for a way to to Define yourself in front of of your society. From one side, you're fighting over your sexuality in front of the Palestinian side, and from the other side, you're fighting uh, uh, to 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 define your your nationality um, in, in in front of the Israeli side. And and it's like it's not that I'm confused or I don't know w- what I am. I am 100 mm-hmm. percent sure what I am. The problem is that everybody else is so afraid <laughs> from the definition, from that right. definition.
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, I wanted to talk about your story. I mean, your parents, um, born or from Armenia, immigrated to, to Israel. I mean, what, what's your journey? Because I know that today you have a partner who is Jewish.
2: I I I, I, I understand that you watch only the trailer. Uh
1: huh.
2: i um, We are not together anymore. Oh, but, got uh, it. Sorry.
1: <laughs> oops yeah i only had access to the trailer i wish i could see the whole thing and i'll ask you later yeah, how we can
2: um, it's fine it's fine um we're still good friends but it it is it, complicated you know it's i can i i know I, it, nothing is really like simple in this place but uh but this one i think that our love our our relationship was kind of been, like it was complex, but it was beautiful and simple. And and I think that my my parents know that I'm gay before even I was like, I think I, I went out from the closet when I was uh, 15. So um, they already know. But uh, um, with David, they didn't have any any problem. He, mm-hmm. He's super cute and amazing. And uh,
1: so you and you know good. you you brought that up also um, that uh, your parents knew. Uh, before you, you said that you're gay, and also that they're accepting. And you, you know, when we read yeah. stories, um, as far as like, you know, gay Muslims, it's almost impossible to be gay and Muslim because of the treatment, the fear, the no, the that legal is, protections.
2: That is, that is uh, such a wrong, like, it's it, it, it's not the reality. Mm-hmm. It's just what the media wanna wanna hear. It's like, uh, you know, uh, like. Uh, Three years ago I I, I had this conversation from the CDC guy and he he called me he was like "Um, can you like uh, uh, we want to interview can you tell us your story we really want to want to hear what happened with you that uh, how did your parents accept you and I was like oh they were really happy to uh, like they they didn't get upset or like try to kill me or try to, to I don't know what to do with me and he was like oh so do you have another Palestinian, maybe, that we would like to interview? So <laughs> I think this is the perfect. I mean, no, this is the perfect example of how and how the media like to take uh, uh, the uh, the Muslim Arab world and 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 make it like an extremist world that you cannot be uh, uh, um, gay in it or lesbian in it. Yes, it's difficult in in mo- most of the parts, but in the big cities. You cannot, like, look at all the Arab cities, at all the Muslim cities, as one country. You know, in Turkey, in Turkey, it's a gay, it's a Muslim, it's a Muslim country, and there is a gay parade there. In Beirut, there is a gay scene. In Amman, there is a gay scene. Jordan and, and, and Lebanon, we are talking here. But usually, people look at the at Iran and at uh, at uh, 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 Saudi Arabia as a place of and they say they call it the Muslim countries. It's not the Muslim countries, in any way. And 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 we have gay scenes. We have gay scenes in Ramallah. We have gay scenes in in in, in Beirut. We have gay scenes in Amman. Maybe it's not huge and uh, and and successful and pink washed like in Tel Aviv. But uh, but it's it's happening. It's really happening. So mm-hmm. uh, so and and you cannot look at at the whole. Muslim society as a conservative and and uh, um, orthodox uh, um um like community or or like uh, population because they are not we are different there is people that don't believe in God even though that they call themselves Muslim inside of Islam and it's like it, it we are not all the same but yeah but I can a lot of time when I say it to to reporters or uh, or people that interview me when I say if I will go now to some parts in America. And I will direct the camera on this part like in the south and, mm-hmm. and and I will start to ask people like how they will will be with gays and how will they react if some gay will pass pass from their street or or live in their neighborhood they will freak out but what the what the Western like like to do and Israel is to put the light on the Arabs and the Muslim and say, "Oh, we have a monopoly on uh, monopoly on on like uh, liberalism and openness." And we are the only places that you can be gay in it. Mm-hmm. Oh, come on. Mm-hmm.
1: Michelle Meow, we're speaking with Kader who is uh, who has a film out called Oriented, and it's directed by Jake Witzenfeld. And the film follows uh, Kader and his three friends who are gay Palestinians that live and work in Tel Aviv. Let's talk about you know Israeli LGBTQI people and their relationship to gay Palestinians living in in Tel Aviv or in uh, you know Israel. Um you, or what do you what do you think? Like do you ever do, have you ever experienced, you know, uh the even the LGBTQ community there? Of course. And of course. And, and, yeah, and their political values have. and views?
2: Of course. I think that in in the 90s, the LGBTQ, uh, the Israeli LGBTQ, were were really aware to the Palestinian side, and they are really were not just for the LGBTQ in the Palestinian side, for the Palestinian ta- uh, side in general. And I think that today we got more and more uh, uh, right wing party uh, LGBT, like LGBTQs, voting for Bibi and for uh, like extreme uh, uh, right wing parties. And and you can you can you can see it like it's kind of like you know I I, I don't know what's the perfect example but it's like a, if I will describe it in American way so it's gonna be like Republican gays I don't believe in this thing <laughs> seriously mm-hmm. how it how it could exist and and it's it's like foolish and and in those days in these days we have a lot of radical uh, right right party wing uh, gays in, in in Israel they they don't connect with the, with Arab people, they don't want to date, they don't want to uh, hang around with, and, and and this is something that could totally happen, and and they would tell you, oh, you're an Arab, you're a Muslim, I will not date you. And this is like, okay, if you don't want to date me, so don't. Bye.
1: That's got to be so hard. I mean, obviously hurtful. and. Uh... It is, it's,
2: it's not hurtful because, because there is, like, a generation of powerful Palestinian guys, and we don't need... Uh, people that will not like us or don't want to be with us we can manage ourselves by our own this is like i'm trying to say it all the time oriented it's not a movie and the first time it's not a movie that shows the arab gay guys as a as a Mm victim this is the first movie that shows the arab gay guys as as a model as a strong figure and, and not as a somebody that ran away from his family that tried to kill him blah 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 all and well-known story, and and I think that today we're not apologi- apologizing for being who we are, and 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 not and not in front of LGBTQ Israelis. So if you don't if you don't want to date me because I'm Muslim or Arab, so go and you know what to do with your stuff. I'm not
1: going to say it on No, no, no. And, and I think that those are similar issues that, you know, people face here in the United States. Uh, you know, racism and segregation is, is it's not like it, it doesn't happen in the uh, gay mecca in San Francisco, uh, you know, where yeah. we're having conversations about race constantly. Um, in which, you know, I, I, and I think that I had read... I love
2: it that you called uh Francisco to gay mecca. I, I didn't, <laughs> I, I wasn't there yet, but uh-huh. I, I was planning to visit
1: Again, I assume, you know. <laughs> well, you know, I, and 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 uh, there are a lot more gay meccas today than there were, say, in the '60s. Um, and I can't even yeah. say that there are a huge concentration of LGBTQI that still live in San Francisco. It's changed so much, right? It's become so expensive. Yeah. Um, but but you know, I'm I'm going to take a quick break here because when we come back, I want to dive into the film and and maybe since I didn't get a chance to see the film and our listeners are tuning in for the first time or hearing about your film, I'd love to get you know just some some thoughts about this around the specifics of what mm-hmm. happens in the film. So stay with us. No problem. The Michelle Meow Show continues right after this. Don't go away.
0: You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Meow Show.
1: It's Michelle Meow, you're listening to The Best Of Show. We're replaying some of my favorite interviews
3: we've done this year.
0: And now back to the Michelle Meow Show.
1: Welcome back! Thanks so much for joining us here on this little Friday or Thursday, I should say, December nineteenth. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. Our guest today is Kader Abu Saif, and uh, he's got a new film called Oriented, which is directed by Jake Witzenfeld. And the the film is a uh, follows uh, Kader and his friends, who are gay Palestinians that live and work in Tel Aviv, and we're we're. Chatting about, you know, it's it's so crazy to me because if you live in a bubble, especially here in the United States, um, you know, Cotter mentioned it before. Western media absolutely feeds you all the things that you 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 don't really know, uh, and that is, you know, it's almost impossible to be Muslim and gay in the uh, in the Middle East. Um, but today we're talking about identification and complex identities, and that we do exist and And Cotter is proof, <laughs> so Cotter, let's talk about your film oriented. I mean, how did you get yeah. into the project? and um and, and this is this is part of your activism too, though, right?
2: yeah, well we we have a few video videos that, that we did for the uh, for our community. It's like it was like speaking about like the videos spoke about gays and lesbians and LGBTQ in general. And the director, Jake Wissenfeld, was like, he heard about me from some friends that we have in common. And at the beginning, he wanted to do this movie about me and my boyfriend. And I was like, no, let's not do that. It's like, let's not do another film about the impossible love between the Arab Muslim guy and the Jewish guy. Come on, it's so 90s, it's so over. Mm -hmm. Like, let's move Let's move on and, and we I, I said that he should make a movie about our com- identity complex inside of this place me and my friend how we handle our stuff inside of this place and then we got three stories of uh, one guy Sadi, that is like really kept on and like really fear for his nationality like the Palestinian nationality and we got the story of Nahim that's coming out from, from the closet in like during the film and the story of me, of like, like trying to change the reality that I'm living with, uh, and and I'm having like a Jewish boyfriend, and like it, it's it's uh, it's kind of like a huge salad of uh, an identity complex and fun, and a lot of crying also. Hmm.
1: Hmm. What kind of experiences would we expect to see? I mean, I'm looking up at the uh, screening dates, and none are in San Francisco, so I'm not. Going to have a chance to see uh oriented, but um oh. yeah
2: um i and I think that every place that I've been with the movie when I was visiting and screaming we got so many different reactions, and there is so many people that connect to different types, like there is people that came to me and they were like, oh my god, you're so uh, you moved me and now and I start to think different about. How I, I how I think or how I, I was thinking about gay Palestinians and 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 Muslims and or gay Arabs and that is new to me and and thank you for lighting me and there is a lot of people that came came to me and said oh my God the the, the journey that Naim doing in the film is so incredible to remind me of my journey how I get uh, get out from the closet in front of my parents and there is of course the story of Naim that we got like. Of Fadi, sorry, a lot of responses, even like from people from from uh, uh, Jamaica and Uganda, and they were like, "We definitely can understand him. We definitely live it like day by day." And I think that everybody uh, get attached to to other person or to other character in this movie. So I don't know. It's like I think that it's a it's a total um, emotional experience. I don't think that there is something that i can add it's like everybody connects to different things.
1: what do you hope to change specifically for you know um i guess palestinian life or for palestinians who are in you know tel aviv or or i guess the relationship um from what we don't I, know I, it, 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 it involving palestine and israel
2: well first of all uh, i i will not be a cliche and 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 be uh beauty, peasant, queen, and say, like, I hope that it will be peace and we'll live quietly. I know that, sadly, I'm saying that it's not going to happen in, in, in my or, or our generation. We're not going to see it. I, I look at the situation right now, and I know that it it can be a dream, but right now it's even farther than being that I can even start to to dream about it because it's so far. I know that it's, uh, there is hope, but it so far right now that I can't even see it but for sure I I can say that I have like a purpose right now and the purpose is even that if I'm not getting the dream of peace or I'm not getting the dream of a land of the dream of a homeland at least I will fight for my rights until I will get there I will fight for my rights to the other generation we will have a base to work from Mm -hmm. and this is I think the the major hope that we we have from this movie that to start something that will make you think different, to start something that will make you think, maybe I shouldn't conquer the world in one day, but maybe I should start to change my reality. And maybe my living here, the 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 fact that I'm living here, should change something. And I should say to the world and to this place, to Israel, to say to them, I exist and you cannot continue ignoring my existence. So I think that my my, my hope from the film is to show the world and, 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 and Israel that she is not the only open-minded thing in this story. There mm-hmm. is a lot of faces and there is a lot of stories. And it's not just the gay parade in Tel Aviv in June.
1: Can I ask you what do you think is is hardest? Or I don't, you know, you can answer it um, any way you want. What's harder to to fight, uh, uh you know, for your nationality, you know, from Palestine, <laughs> to fight as I, a gay man, or to fight, um, you know, for gender and national equality? What's been the hardest for you?
2: I I got this question quite a lot. <laughs> um, I think. That I I will answer it a bit different differently. I think that I wish that I could fight like just for my sexuality. I really wish that this is for me. This is the important uh, uh, fight. I wish that I can do just that fight. Like everybody living in a in his country, I wish that I would live uh, I would live right now in Palestine and fight just over my sexuality. But I'm not that privileged. I'm privileged, but not that privileged. So I think that I don't have even like the the like the way even to think about which fight I, I will prefer to take. I don't have any other choice. I need to fight them both. It's like I need to fight for my sexuality and gender equality as an Arab Palestinian living inside of this country. And from the other side, mm-hmm. I I need to fight. Over my sexuality in front of my community and in front of like the Arab world and the Palestinian, like, you know, the Palestinian state. Like, I don't know, it's like, it's not the Palestinian state attacking me about it, but it's like, I need to change the perception that gay something that you couldn't, you, you can't have.
1: There was a review that I read in which, um, the writer had mentioned that uh you know this film and the relationships that you have with Is- Israeli gays and other Israeli gays that there seem to be this sentimental perception that Israeli gays um want to save Palestinian gays <laughs> does that make any sense to you?
2: most of the movies that 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 like have been done right until this point was. Uh, and especially Israeli Israel mo- Israeli movies, there was always the, the the Palestinian was on the suffering side, and Israeli is always the hero that will save him and be his savior. Okay, like he's like taking him out from all this mess and like building a good life, and they fall in love after two days of meeting, In like this whole crap romantic story. But it's not the reality. The reality is that. It's not that easy. And even if you fell in love with a Jewish guy and you're together and you love each other, that doesn't mean that you're going to fix the world and and he wants to be your savior. Sometimes sometimes the Palestinian guy, he's the savior of the Jewish guy because it's just like that and and there is nothing to do about it. Uh, But uh, I think that there there is not just Jewish. I think that there is a lot of Western and Jewish and European guys that think that Oh my God! This Arab guys really need our help. Like like so romantic and exotic that if I will go now to Morocco or I don't know where and like fell in love with this guy. Oh come on, save us! Mm. Mm.
1: And then, what are your feelings or sentiments now with the uh, you know every like I I mentioned? I opened the show up with I hope people are not absorbing their daily lives listening to the news right now because it's so bad. and it's so racist. It's so xenophobic. It's uh, so so many phobias all into one. Does that affect you at all or impact you in the work that you do? Or it's it, it's already hard for you. Um, and now that the whole world is talking, uh, I'm
2: I'm 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 crying. Like when, when the thing in Paris happened, I, I, I the only thing that I heard about is like I was afraid like that something happened i have friends in paris and i was afraid that something happened to my friends that was my first reaction and 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 then i got like i got it after that and i and and i thought about it like my friends are also arab and muslims and 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 some of them at least and i was afraid because i said that something happened to them and you know i can never like i can be sensitive and it's really horrible that this thing happened there but like like a week before, it's happened, the, the same thing happened in Beirut, Arab country, and nobody cares. And, like, that, ISIS, it's happening for four years in Syria, and nobody really cares. And and now when it, it, it arrived to Europe, so, so the world woke up and, like, Islamists are trying to kill us and blah, blah, blah. Nobody is trying to kill nobody. ISIS don't represent Islam. And I'm not, I, and, and 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 I'm not even defen- defending Islam because I'm not really religious. But ISIS don't re- represent Islam, and and ISIS doing to Muslim people for years what it he's it has been doing, what he just do- did in Paris. Mm-hmm. So why people are so afraid from Islam? Because ISIS ca- killed Islam way before he started to kill Christians, and I'm saying it like 100% sure.
1: Absolutely. Now, now a couple of questions for you. I, I mean, the, the movie Oriented is coming to the United States, by the way. Uh, I saw some uh, cities, Los Angeles, um, uh, and uh, I can I can list some of the cities for the listeners tuning in today on our website, MichelleMeow.com. But, um, Cotter, what are your feelings about, you know, gay Americans, LGBTQ Americans as you're fighting to exist in Tel Aviv?
2: What did you say? What was the question? Yeah, the
1: question is: I I wonder, kind of, you know, you have such a um a, a very unique perspective on your identity, and I'm just wondering how you feel about you know LGBTQIs in America, um, and and what might the media portray <laughs> about our lives.
2: Well, I just I just uh I just came like I I just came back from from New York uh um a week ago almost yeah a week ago. And, and like, I, I met such a different persons person. In, 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 like, I was in New York, L.A., and in Washington in, in the U.S. And I think that I can just say that I really love New York, and people, that really get it. They really get the whole Palestine, uh, Tel Aviv, all Palestine-Israel situation. But I can say it for sure that when I was in L.A., there was this guy that just told me, like he was like uh, all European guys, and I was like, I'm from the Middle East of mm. the map. Mm. Like it, I'm not European anyway, <laughs> and it's not that I got offended by it, but there is so much people that not re- not really knowing what's happening outside the box and LGBTQ in LGBTQ in 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 the US, that it's it's a huge place, and I don't blame nobody, but it's a huge place, and and you cannot really get attached or know about what's happening in all other countries because you're living mm-hmm. in, in a country that is like bigger than my country in in one billion times and and it's so so I guess there is cities that they are the the lgbtqs are more aware about what's happening here in them and there is cities that it's less
5: yeah <laughs> that I
2: would say as an understand uh, understatement.
1: Right, right. Cotter, thank you so much for your time and for sharing thank Oriented you. the film with us. Uh, for those of you who are tuning in, uh, Cotter, uh, Cotter and his film Oriented will be uh, screened here in the United States starting, um, I guess, some of it has already happened in New York. Uh, Los Angeles looks like it already happened. Um, and uh, and then it already just happened in New York. So that means you guys are done for now and you it will not come to the United States anymore, I guess. I, uh, I think
2: that it will come back to
1: New York. It will come back to New York. Okay, because now yeah, you're doing no. a bunch of screenings in um, Amsterdam. Um, yeah, well, sure. and, it, and anyway, I enjoyed talking to you and thank you for what you do because I think it, this film thank is you. very important to educate us. So good luck and thank you.
2: Thank you very much.
1: Don't go away. When we come back, we'll continue the program, and we also have another great big interview for you as uh, we start to wrap up Little Friday here. So don't go away.
0: You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Miao Show.
1: It's Michelle Miao. You're listening to The Best Of Show. We're replaying some of my favorite interviews we've done this year.
0: And now back to the Michelle Meow show.
1: Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Meow, your host, and it is little Friday today. Where it is Thursday, November 12th. Our next guest is a black queer artist, activist and policy analyst at the Center for the Study of Social Policy, who is passionate about addressing disproportionality and disparities that affect LGBTQ and gender nonconforming youth. This is a topic that I am so, so, so passionate about and so happy that our producer Fong has been able to um, to get our guest on. So let's welcome Jonathan Likas to the program. Jonathan, welcome.
5: Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be on the program with you.
1: Um, I want to bring up an article that was posted uh, at the Huffington Post or HuffingtonPost.com in which um, the article that you wrote pretty much discuss a a statistic that I don't think that we talk enough about, which um, for the most part, you know, 40 percent of girls in juvenile detention are uh lgbtqi or i identify as such is that correct
5: yeah that's that's absolutely correct and and you know what i really think that statistic represents is uh the importance for us to continually be intentionally intersectional. Um, we don't think about intersectionality enough when we think about uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, when we think about young girls of color that are impacted by systemic oppression. Um, so, so I not only think that that statistic is true, but I think it needs to um, really... Um, strike us to take action um, and make sure that we're including the stories of young women and young girls um, of color into our analysis when we're thinking about undoing systemic and institutionalized racism in our society.
1: I bring up, you know, a, a lot of the uh, the oppression. This is coming fresh from me standing up to, you know, a CEO, the CEO of Walmart, in trying to mm. bring up, you know, low-income families and the exploitation of uh, low-income uh, families and you know LGBTQI people, immigrants, so on. I'm sure you have a lot to say about Absolutely. something like that when we're talking about intersectionality. But when we when we have these big discussions about. Um, trying to undo, you know, systemic oppression, it's so huge that it almost is, un, uh, I can't even imagine what that even looks like. Can you give us some examples and how that applies to, or how that could actually, uh, if we're not talking about it in the right way, how it could negatively impact people who are the most marginalized?
5: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think, you know, it, it's, it's a... Um A fine line to walk for us, definitely us doing movement work and us at the Center for the Study of Social Policy, which is trying to create an analysis to support that movement work happening on the ground. I'll say this. an example of, of the importance of intersectionality that we often fall into is when we continue to only highlight stories. Uh, or when we're talking about criminalization issues, we might highlight and center the stories of black cis men impacted by police violence. Now, of course... Um, when, we, when we're uplifting the names of Trayvon Martin, uh, Mike Brown, Eric Gardner, those are crucial stories that we need to highlight and lift up. But at the same time, we have to make sure we're not forgetting the stories of those black trans women um, that are often impacted by police violence or, or black cis women, uh, young black girls growing up in schools that are impacted by these same issues. So I think in taking an intersectional approach, um, or in another way we, we call call it in the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, In Black Youth Project 100, we say doing work through a black queer feminist lens. Um, And that really allows us to see and understand that our identities uh, often make us vulnerable to multiple types of oppression. So trying to center those who are most marginalized um, to make sure uh, if we're making um freedom more accessible for black men, making sure that that freedom is also accessible to immigrants and black trans women and cis women et etc et cetera
1: so well said um and and then you're kind of applying this back to your to your article. Of the 40 uh, the percent that are considered LGBTQI, you know, uh, women in juvenile detention, I shouldn't say women because they're all youths. I mean, it, it's it's yeah. it's crazy to me to think about this, right, that that the dialogue that we're having on a bigger platform in terms of LGBT equality and progress has been so focused on marriage that I feel like, you know, we're really not hitting the mark here in yeah. providing voices for the people who need us most. How is it possible that in a time in which there, you know, is a higher percentage or the polls show that the, you know, the United States, right. Has more support for uh, LGBTQI people um, that we have this disparity, this horrible figure of, of most of our vulnerable being either locked up or on the streets. Cause if you look yeah. at it from the homeless perspective, of of youths who are homeless also identify as
5: LGBTQI.
1: Tell me something. Am am I missing something or are we not doing anything?
5: Yeah, no, I I absolutely agree with you, uh, Michelle. One, I think we have to really highlight the importance of um, visibilizing the stories of these young people. They have been deemed invisible. Um, I can't, tell you how much money has been spent on the marriage movement over the last 10 years. And I think you know we're all very happy that that uh, has been passed by the Supreme Court and that we can now move on. But for a very long time, young LGBTQ youth of color have not been worried about marriage. We've been worried about the police violence that we experience on the street. We've been worried about um, homelessness and family rejection. So oftentimes it's these systems uh, working together to further marginalize these young people, um, and then we haven't necessarily gotten the support we need from the LGBTQ uh, movement work. But we also have to understand that it's not just about being LGBTQ. Um, Of that statistic of the 40%, 85% of those those young people are girls of color in these systems. So it it has to be not only a focus um, on sexual orientation and gender identity, but also a focus on race and class. Mm -hmm simultaneously
1: Hmm. Mm-hmm. you said something that uh you know was very poignant earlier in talking about black lives matter the black lives matter movement has been successful in um at least you know on a on a bigger platform having a discussion about police brutality and how it impacts uh the lives of black men or black cis men um and 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 you know we Lots of people now better understand the systemic oppression that basically puts a a black man's life in the hands of police, even for the smallest crime. I don't think that we are able to do the same. When we talk about uh, LGBTQI people of color, and when they're incarcerated, if we were to look at the number of youths who are incarcerated, I mean, what what is the percentage of small crimes and or the reasons why they're incarcerated to begin with? I mean, juvenile detention. Um, yeah, the, we're not necessarily talking about you know women's penitentiary.
5: Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think. We really have to uplift uh, the narrative of school to prison pipeline and how a lot of the crimes that people are being locked up for are really um, ridiculous, nonviolent um, crimes that really it's just young people being young people. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a movement happening around the country uh, within Black Lives Matter um, to decriminalize blackness in a lot of ways, or brownness in a lot of ways, Um, and that's just this idea that young people growing up in schools are often criminalized because of their racial identities and how that intersects with their uh, sexual identities. I'll also say, with with young LGBTQ people, um, I think that there's research from Caitlin Ryan and the Family Acceptance Project work that says Um, Families that reject young people puts them at higher risk for suicidality, for depression, for drug use, for higher sexual uh, risky behaviors. Um, So we have to understand that um, oftentimes because of sexual identity also and that rejection puts young people at risk for entering into these systems. And that's both runaway homeless systems, child welfare systems, and juvenile justice systems.
1: Michelle meow our guest on the phone with us is Jonathan Likas, who is a Black queer artist, activist, and policy analyst at the Center for the Study of Social Policy. We're having a broad discussion about, you know, the disparities that affect LGBTQ and gender nonconforming youth. There is an article that's posted up at HuffingtonPost.com that states that a staggering 40% of girls in juvenile detention identify as LGBTQI. Um, Jonathan, before we go on break, uh, you know, I wanted to... to to ask this, you know, there's this huge stigma uh, already uh, against, you know, people who are poor or people who are, you know, come from low income communities um, or, you know, neighborhoods that might not be white, for example. Um, You know, if you could just kind of discuss for listeners out there the importance of how take all of that stigma and then add LGBTQI in the mix. that that really it doesn't give our youths uh, a lot of opportunities to to feel good about themselves,
5: right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I I think we have to talk about uh, the multiple form of forms of marginalization that are impacting uh, young LGBTQ youth of color. Um, I think Kathy Cohen uh, professor at University of Chicago, has a lot of great research coming out about um, the intersecting identities of, of young people of color experiencing systemic oppression from all of these systems. So what does it mean for a young person not only have to worry about their racial identity being a risk factor for being profiled, um, for being um, uh, pushed into the school-to-prison pipeline in school, but then you're dealing with homophobia. Um, and then on top of that, we really need to talk about gender in this country and how narrow and violent views of gender are impacting young trans and gender nonconforming conforming populations. Um, so, so these multiple identities uh, really are important to highlight and to visibilize as we're lifting up the stories of these young people that need our support.
1: Jonathan, I'm going to take a quick break, but when we come back, I'd love to finish off our discussion with words of empowerment. Because, you know, I think between you and I, uh, we've got to get there where we can empower our youths to to break out of the system. So stay with us. Absolutely. The Michelle Meow Show continues right
3: after this.
0: You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of The Michelle Meow Show.
7: Jason Collins talked about gay athletes, the sisters of perpetual indulgence, discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at CommonwealthClub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time when you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's Thought leaders.
0: And now back to the Michelle Meow Show.
1: Welcome back! Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Mial, your host. Our guest on the phone is Jonathan Likas, a Black queer artist, activist, and policy analyst at the Center for the Study of Social Policy. So, Jonathan, right before the break, I, I mentioned you know empowerment, um, and I, I'm you know I had this discussion with with a lot of Walmart employees in which it's like, you know, the solution is to not continue to oppress us you yeah. know, to continue, you know, giving us these uh, low-wage jobs and work us to the bone to where we can't even afford health care or basic, you know, things like uh, a home. And, yeah. I, and I talked about, you know, how we need, we want to empower our communities to rise up from that and move out of it. But we obviously need tools to, to do that. What are your thoughts?
5: Yeah, no, absolutely. So, Uh, At the Center for the Study of Social Policy, um, there's a new initiative called the Get Real Initiative, uh, and REAL stands for Recognize, Engage, Affirm, and Love, and that's really what we're trying to push in our practice work and our policy work with young people. But we also understand the importance that we need to engage these young people directly um, and lift up the interventions that they've created for their own lives. I think one thing that gives all of us hope is that the extreme resiliency of young LGBT LGBTQ youth and youth of color all across this country. Um, so while in Get Real, we're working to train social workers and staff um, to, to understand the experiences of these young people so when they enter into these systems, they can have better outcomes, not worse outcomes. Um, but it's also about directly engaging these young people in supporting the interventions that they've created for their own lives. I also wanted
1: to, you know, get your thoughts in today's, um, I guess, figures or or leaders of our time when we talk about lgbtq people who are in the news you know at the end of the year you you have the big uh media companies who do those lists of influential people or the you know like out.com has their 100 you know top lgbtqi people while i do see you know the the, the point of it sometimes i get um somewhat angry because I don't feel that it is 100 percent representational of our community, but also because we don't have the voices that we really need to speak for the most marginalized. Um, What are your thoughts? And also a secondary question to that or a follow up, you know, who would be the empowering figures or LGBTQI leaders for our youths who are incarcerated or homeless uh, and and so, so forth and so on?
5: Yeah, no, absolutely. I I do think, um, you know, the leaders are out there. We're everywhere. We're on the ground. We're doing the work. We might not be in the newspapers or we might not be on CNN all the time, but there's absolutely a a new generation of resilient, young, LGBTQ youth leaders. I mean, one example is that so many of uh, organizations that are doing Movement for Black Lives works uh, work are queer leaders. So when you think of uh, organizations like Black Youth Project 100, it's led by Charlene Carruthers. When you think of the Black Lives Matter movement in itself, um, Elle Hearns, uh, a black trans woman, is, is leading a lot of that work. So we have to be able to, to lift up other names within the trans liberation movement like Dico Cherno, Angelica Ross, or Janet Mock. These are really um, inspiring people who um, you, you might not hear their names in, in mainstream public But they are absolutely doing the work on the ground and doing inspiring work to to lead this next generation of activists, artists, and academics uh, to shift the systems that are oppressing our lives so that 50 years from now we won't be talking about the same issues that we're talking about today.
1: Do you have hope for the future?
5: I have a lot of hope Um, in the Get Real work that we're doing. It's really exciting to be able to go into systems and literally say, what do we need to redesign these systems to better meet the needs of young people? Um, So that's the work that that really excites me and and gives me hope. And hearing about the practice changes that that happen, you know, those changes will only happen uh, if we give the people the skills to understand um, the experiences of these young people. and, And that's what we're trying to do in the Get Real work.
1: Last question for you, and it's kind of a big, heavy one. Um, do you think that the uh, big national organizations that do work within the LGBTQI community will will start to, uh, you know, discuss intersectionality and and also address intersectionality in their work and providing resources for our youths and the most marginalized?
5: Yeah, you know, I hope so. Is is the question? Is the answer? I, I really. Um, Think we're at a moment in time where young people are really, um, not going to wait for any type of, um, institutions to, to, uh, reach the freedom and liberation that we need. I think young people, young LGBTQ youth of color all around the country and really all around the world uh, are going to organize our own movement to fight for our own liberation. Um, And we are absolutely willing to to build coalitions with some of these more traditional uh, LGBTQ rights organizations, but I don't think young people will wait for them to come along. Young people are dying, you know, um, and and the what we're facing out here on these streets. Um is, is crucial and, and it needs our attention, not tomorrow, not next week, not after another large policy gets passed by the Supreme Court, but um, we need it addressed now. And, and young people are, are kind of leading that charge within the Black Lives Matter movement, but also in all of these other movements happening around the country. Um, so that's the trans liberation movement. That's the immigration movement. And there uh, is coalition being built between these young movements, between people on the ground. So I think that, um, you know, we'll see what happens with, with some of the larger organizations. But young people are going to do the work regardless, as we always have.
1: Oh, you're such a refreshing voice and just someone and that totally gets it. And, you know, it's just been the discussion that we've been having uh, for, for many, many years now. Jonathan, yeah. thank you so much for your time and the work that you do.
5: Well, thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate that.
1: To follow Jonathan's work or to support the organization uh that he works for, you can visit CSSP dot org. Well, Fong. You know, as our, our young producer um and and listening to today's program, how does that make you feel? Um empowered. It does make you empowered.
4: Yeah, because you know, as you were saying, like we need more voice, voices like um, Kate Kendall and um, Jonathan's because most of the time we don't really get a lot of those really inspiring and motivating type of advice. Um, you know, due to the fact that it's hard to find some very powerful um, leading, um, you know, activists out there. And sometimes when you do find them, you know, there are other folks who need them more. Mm-hmm. I don't know.
1: Do you ever get afraid, like, you know, with the announcement of the Mormon church blatantly changing their policies that, I mean, they're not even trying to hide their hate. They're just, you know, no, you can't baptize. I mean, mean, you're probably not Mormon, but I'm just saying that if a religious institution, you know, who's supposed to represent a ton of people, like we're talking, you know, over a million people right here in this country if they could do something like that and be successful or influential, does that scare you as an LGBTQI person?
4: On the, yeah, they do scare me when they are able to, you know, have such power and somehow just do whatever they want um, overtly about, you know, um, and just make changes. Because most of the time a lot of activists or like grassroots um, folks who work so hard to advocate for, you know, some um, policies and changes it takes forever, and it takes a lot of people, a lot of time and effort. So then, when I can, you know, hear about, you know, what Kate said and how they just change it without, you know, really having to go through a lot of different process or a lot of support in any ways, it's it's just mind boggling to know that they have such power.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I actually feel sad for um. people who have that much um, hate and who spend time thinking mm-hmm. about other people's lives. Mm-hmm. Cause I actually think that that is um, it's like wasted energy, right? Like if I <laughs> were to care so much about what you do in your own personal life and I'm not focused on myself, mm-hmm. I'm wasting that energy that mm-hmm. I could have been, you know, focusing on my family or my, my, or empowering and uplifting myself as Jonathan's talking about. So I think at the end, when people are supportive of, of you know, these types of policy changes or these harmful policies that impact a, another community, mm-hmm. um, it makes me it makes me sad. It doesn't anger me, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in a, in a way where I want revenge or something <laughs> like that. It makes me so sad because you see just the ugliness of like mankind, mm-hmm. uh, which then. At the same time, as you had said, it's so interesting because we're talking about two really, 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 um, you know, not disappointing, but like two, two situations that clearly outline the issues that the LGBTQI community still is experiencing. Mm -hmm. Although it disappoints you, it equally empowers you mm-hmm. that that, you know, that's why we have to keep the lights on here in this studio and continue giving voices to the people who need it most. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also need to put ourselves out there as uncomfortable as it may be from San Francisco to Fresno to mm-hmm. Benville to wherever.
4: Oh, yeah, we're gonna do that. We're definitely doing that right now
1: so a couple things i wanted to check in with you i mean it's little friday usually little friday makes me feel like the weekend's already here i might be the only person here in this country who celebrates little friday um but i don't think so because i i see all the bars fat and full uh four o'clock five o'clock uh you know on thursdays yeah thursdays (laughs) like the new friday you know people like stroll into the office late on friday or you know they (laughs) stroll in their casual clothes but um I, I wanted to bring up the Southeast Asian Film Festival, in right. which we'll be covering here on the program, not just, you know, radio, but also television. Um, I'm so excited about it. I'm so excited that the Southeast Asian Film Festival is inclusive of queer stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know if you were able to check out a couple of them, but that, are you know, some of them are Vietnamese or from Vietnam. Yeah. Some are from Cambodia. Some are from Laos. Laos.
4: Yeah. It's going to be hard, you know, reaching out to them, but it's amazing to know that there are films being made at different places about LGBTQ lives, because most of the time it's not like people have such a platform or we know where to reach them or, you know, think, just thinking the thought of thinking about going to those countries and making these amazing films.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm so interested and curious to know about the films out of Laos. I mean, you know, it's just so interesting. I saw a YouTube video of a gentleman from Laos who had confronted Hillary Clinton on, you know, um, on the landmines that, you know, are still, are still there in, in, in a country like Laos mm-hmm. and in the whole, uh, relationship with, the, you know, the communist party and the landmines and, 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 and war and, and all of that. Um, you don't even think about like LGBTQI lives and what it is like in a country like Laos. So you'll find out next week. If you tune in, thank you so much for joining us this week. Sorry about the Comcast hiccup there. They decided to have an outage as we were trying to record the show, but hopefully that won't happen anymore for everything else. You can head to MichelleMeow.com. meow.com. Otherwise uh, tune in tomorrow at four o'clock for John zipper of the Commonwealth club. Thanks for listening. You can catch The Michelle Miao Show Monday through Friday, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time on the Progressive Voices Network.